Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. The Lounge has extended its roster. Kind of perfect timing, too. That's usually what happens late in the season. It doesn't happen as much anymore. It's not 40-man rosters, but welcome Alana Rizzo inside the lounge and not just for one time you have a vip permanent access come along anytime for the ride longtime friend of mine superstar in the industry interviews for days thousands of hours of interviews so you have more than earned your right to enter the lounge and we extended the invite we're very thrilled to have you here to get into some all-time legend interviews together Oh, I appreciate it. It's not September 1st. Rosters have not officially been opened up yet, but only two more people get to join this year, Scotty B. So it's not 26, it's 28. Happy, happy, happy to be on this roster with you, my little brother. We started at the network back in 2012 and what a ride it has been since then. And we both look 10 years younger. (laughs) Ridiculous. Than well, we did do, back you then. Do, but I appreciate no, we both that. Thank do. You. We Thank are going backwards. That's okay. why we're here. It's but the lighting, Benjamin Button. It's the lighting. Technology is a beautiful thing, but we are, yes, like I said, we are so excited. Um, Alana and I, yeah, we, we've called each other for years, bro and sis. And you'll see that, get a taste of that during the interviews too, going back and forth. So this week we've got the closer coming in hot, a guy that I've been big on talking about because he was a big part of, of my really prime time baseball fandom before I was entering the industry, Billy Wagner, super, super strikeout artist entering the lounge. And for you guys listening to this, uh, Scott Braun is the Billy Wagner Hall of Fame candidacy president. This is a guy that absolutely wants you to know that Billy Wagner belongs in the Hall of Fame. We will talk to him about that. We will also talk about the hard hitting stuff here because I want to know what he thinks about Edwin Diaz's um, entrance music. I mean, come on. Billy Wagner has one of the best. What about Edwin Diaz? Let's ask him the tough, hard hitting questions in the lounge, Scott. (laughs) i will lead that charge and i promise you this i will say to some extent you were a hall of famer billy some people just didn't know it here he is Okay, this guest means a lot to me. One of my favorite players to watch during some of, I would say, my peak fandom times before I entered the working world of baseball. Seven-time All-Star. He received 51% of the vote on the 2022 Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. That means um, more than 50%. So majority wants him in. We'll get to that in a bit. He's a 16-year big leaguer, career 2-3-1 ERA, struck out everyone at a time when not everyone was striking out all the time. The great Billy Wagner out of the bullpen into the lounge. Billy, great to talk to you. We've spoken in the past. How's life for you right now? Well, great. Hey, thanks again for having me. I'm so you way too much credit. I really appreciate it. Plus now I really feel older. So, but uh, doing well, things are great. Uh, you know, just uh, following kids and uh, real, I guess real, really still chasing my dream coaching baseball. 
Billy, it's funny. I haven't had the opportunity to speak to you as much as Scott has, but I, I've obviously admired your career. But when I listen to you talk, you seem so calm and cool and collected and just like an easygoing, laid back dad, you know, a dad of four kids hanging out in Virginia. But that is so opposite of the persona that I remember you coming out of the bullpen with. How much have you mellowed out since you retired? Um, not as much as my wife would like me to mellowed out because uh, we, we we met in college. And so I had no money, no nothing. So I had no nothing to worry about. And so I was way laid back. She tells me all the time how I she wish I was more laid back. But I have mellowed. And, and you know what? I was pr probably more mellow off the field than uh, than people saw. It was that uh, fear of failure that uh, I think gave me that that eight foot tall persona of, you know, pissed off redneck. Everybody thought. Did I hear you right when you said that, you, you know, that eight foot pissed off persona redneck talk, but how much did you have to have that mentality, especially if you didn't necessarily have the stuff in your bullpen when you were, you know, when you're warming up or you get the phone, you know, rings and, and you know, you're coming in, do you have to fake it till you make it in situations like that? Absolutely. Some of the best, some of the best games were when I was like, this is going to be a nightmare, just not feeling ready, not feeling like you have your stuff. And usually those are the days you have your stuff. It's the days when you go out there and you're like, oh, yeah, here we are. We're going to put up some numbers that, that you don't. But, uh, you know, I've, I've learned how to I've learned through trial and error how to, to work on that and, and, and kind of BS myself. And the, the best part of being a good pitcher was being able to BS yourself when you had a bad game. So you go out there and you just had to trick yourself. You know, it's kind of, you know, I heard the story of Michael Jordan picking fights with guys who really never even said anything. It's the same thought of going out there and going, you know, trying to build adequacy to yourself, like, oh, I deserve to be here. I feel in. I should be here. I've worked hard, all that stuff. And that's exactly, you know, going on the mound and you're standing there and you're looking at Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, all these guys that are monsters. And you're sitting here going, I better, even if I'm not 10 foot tall, I better at least feel like I'm 10 foot tall. I'm facing these grizzly bears and I better, you know, I better stand tall and, and, and hold my own. And that was really what it is, but it was bullpen days going from bullpen to the game was way easier because in the bullpen I was just I was a total wreck with myself mentally it took a lot for me to be ready to walk out that gate well then give me a comparison of Billy Wagner once you're multiple time all-star in the big striking out the world throwing a million from the left side versus Billy Wagner in high school uh, undersized, not recruited by anyone, probably didn't think that you were going to be striking out uh, MLB All-Stars in the big leagues for double-digit years. So how different were you in high school? And even, I guess, like when you look at your big league career, were there times where you're on the mound and you're going, holy crap, like look where I came from in terms of oh. where I was at senior year of high school. Like you weren't this guy that was, you know, you weren't on the cover of Sports Illustrated when you were 12. Let's put it that way, right? Well, there weren't people knocking on my door for sure. It was a it was a different, you know, different way back then where when in high school, all how you you created your your adequacy was by competing. How did you compete? And I I was I would throw a lot of pitches. I was not very polished. I wasn't very, you know, but take a big swing you're, you're going to get one at your neck. You, you stare at, at me. I, you know, I, I never felt like I was, 
you know, I always felt big on the mountain. I don't know why. And, you know, not that I was, but I, I, I would do things on the mound when I was there because that was that, that toughness that just, you know, we all had, I mean, it was, I mean, um, and, and it carried over to, to when I got to the big leagues, you know, I, I, my biggest concern early in my career, because everybody's biggest thing, ah, I don't know if he can throw strikes. I don't know if that, and, and, um, even my friends, I mean, Donnie wall, uh, I remember going to trip away and Donnie wall, who's a, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. He's a great influence and big friend of mine and, and stuff. Um, he was, he was an awesome starter. I I'd go out there and I mean, I was a high pitch count guy and he would sit there. I remember him and Craig McMurtry pulling me over after my very first start, him going, eh, that's probably not going to work. That's not, you don't throw enough strikes. And then when I got to the big leagues and they go, you're going to be a closer. You know, he's going, ah, you don't throw enough strikes. I don't believe that. And Terry Collins was saying that early. And so that gets in your mind. And then that, that, well, I'll show you mentality comes along. And so, um, you know, it was that the best thing that I did, it was compete. I, I didn't really understand pitching. I didn't understand any of that, that the pitching, you know, the good pitchers like a Maddox, him talking to me was like talking to the wall. My job is to get you out. I, I didn't, I wasn't sitting there going, I'm thinking three pitches ahead. I'm thinking this pitch. And if this pitch works, I'm going to throw it again. And if this pitch works, I'm going to probably throw it again. And so, you know, um, there wasn't a whole lot of, it was more me trying to bully the pitch, the, the hitter. And so I just learned how to pitch through competing and people t- show me how and telling me that I wasn't good enough to do it or I couldn't do it. And so that mentality led me to being a reliever and, uh, you know, just when I got on the mound, I, that's the only time I really felt comfortable was when I was on the game mound. Bullpens or the buildup, that, that mentality was awful. I mean, I watch, you know, I love watching old tapes of Trevor and Mariano and um, these guys walk out and they're calm and they're cool and, and stuff. But, you know, uh, I was never like that. I was never calm and cool. Yeah, you may not have been outwardly calm and cool, but certainly to the rest of us, it seemed that way. But I think, you know, you you mentioned or you refer to kind of faking it until you make it. And it's funny to me how a guy that had the odds stacked against him, broke his arm growing up, had to teach himself how to pitch left-handed, ends up with the second most saves by a left-hander only behind John Franco by two. It's one thing to believe in yourself. It's another thing to execute. What do you, to what do you credit that besides just the fake it till you make it? Well, I mean, very blessed. I mean, God blessed me with a tremendous left arm. I mean, I go from breaking my right arm to, to, to getting on the mound. And, um, you know, the, there was a lot of support by a lot of coaches by going, just continuing to put me out there. Um, um, you know, I, I don't know if there was, um, you know, the opportunities and being successful in those opportunities gave me more opportunities, but, um, you know what, it, it, you know, just blessed that I was able to go out there and I had a great arm. I mean, at that time, you, you know, I think, you know, guys would tease me. They go, well, you see a, a left-handed run out to the mound, looked like there's a hat run across the field. And then there's a hat throwing out of the mound. And so, you know, all of a sudden they all give me that and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, the compliments, uh, were always kind of offhanded until after I threw the first pitch. Um, I mean, I remember a really good friend of mine, Todd Walker, and I played with him in Cape Cod and I go up and I, I mean, I have a hat and a glove. I don't have, you know, I don't even, the cleats I have have holes in them. I, it's just a wreck. <laughs> I get up to Cape Cod and uh, Todd, uh, 
Todd comes up to me and he goes, uh, so what position are you playing? I'm, I'm a left-handed pitcher and, you know, I'm small. And he goes, oh, left-handed pitcher, you must be a thumber. I was like, uh, well, I, I don't know. Maybe I don't even know what that means, but yes, okay. And so it was like after the first pitch, I throw 95, 96. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, you know, it, it took a while for everybody to go, wait a minute, catch. I mean, um, you know, just the feeling of fitting in, the more I felt like I fit in, the better I became because then I wasn't over, over trying. You're going to need to elaborate also on, you know, the little tidbit that Alana dropped there. You break your right arm and then you teach yourself to throw left-handed as a child. I mean, for those that didn't follow your career as closely, uh, can you guide us through what happened? And also, does that mean, were you a righty? Like, were you throwing righty? And then all of a sudden you're basically a switch pitcher and you can throw lefty. Like, have you ever thrown righty since I, I need clarification on on amb- well, I've got ambidextrous some great stories stuff. i've got some really great stories <laughs> on how this story has like transcended at from from the time i, I got to the big leagues but the first uh, the official story is that uh when i was young i was always out in the front yard of my grandmother's house playing cat football and so there's a a friend of mine named chip who would come over and we would play well, this guy was obviously bigger than me. And so we're playing one day, falls on me, breaks my right arm. Uh, so I go through the whole six week, eight week, whatever it is, transition. I come back out. Uh, I'm like six, seven years old. Uh, next thing you know, I run out to the monkey bars and I'm running around. And next thing you know, I fall off the monkey bars, break my arm again. Mm. And and so between that time, being being – a, a kid, you know, and resilient, I'm going to find a way to play regardless. And so I've got a cast on, I'm throwing left-handed. And so that's really how it worked. I, I just, just kept doing it. And as, as being, being young allowed me to, you know, <laughs> be able to do it. I mean, you know, not having to overthink it again, that allowed me to be able to do it. Now I can't do anything left-handed other than <laughs> throw a baseball. I, I, I could stab myself in the face with a fork trying to eat. I just can't. I have no, can't write. I can't do anything. It's funny. Uh, uh, but, you know, some of the stories that come out that I think are way more impressive than the one that I just told was that uh, I was 19, getting ready to go into college and broke my arm. And I just said, I'm just going to be left-handed, got on the mound and I was throwing 90. So I think that was the one I, I really wanted to just stick with because I think that <laughs> is so much more impressive. I'm like, yeah, anybody can do it. Just roll out there. <laughs> and then, um, uh, I remember being with the Phillies and uh, the uh, Texas Rangers came in and I'm standing behind the cage with Kenny Rogers. And he's, he's, uh, he's giving me a hard time about how little I am and being left-handed, how I throw harder than him. He goes, well, I think I can throw further right-handed than you. I, he goes, I, I def-. So I'm like, well, all right, let's see. And so what he didn't know is that I, I still throw right-handed. I still could do stuff. Right. Well, he throws the ball and he's like, you know, pretty excited about what he did. Well, I end up throwing it into the seats right hand and he's just looking at me like just you know like what happened I said well I didn't say I couldn't throw right handed I just said you know I was better left handed and so it just you know some things that guys just you know you know don't know about me I mean I occasionally when I'm coaching I'll throw right handed to guys and stuff like that and um, you know they're, they kind of look at me the kids around the kids nowadays I'm coaching they don't even know I play they look at me like oh, that's just an old guy who who comes out here yeah but uh, but that's really uh, 
you know, that's the funny stories for me. That's funny that you mentioned that because I did want to get into your coaching career because so much of what we do um, on on this is just talk about what you're doing now. I think people fail to realize that players are people first and you guys are actually human beings and there's life after baseball, hopefully for most of you. Uh, I know you're coaching, you have four kids, all athletic. Um, how has that been, the transition from playing at the highest level to trying to watch your kid go through it? Um. You know what? It's it's like any parent. You're you're. It's the most frustratingly rewarding, uh, happy, miserable time of your life. Uh, you know, I, I started coaching high school baseball just because I, I had such a great high school coach, and he was so mentoring and great for me. Lou Perry, who died about three years ago to pancreatic cancer, and um, and so he just kind of drove me to want to help kids like he helped me, and so I. Uh, so I'm going to start coaching. And so I start coaching and I'm going, the first rule that I'm going to coach is, is by allowing the kids to understand that this game is really hard and that I'm not going to get onto them about rewarding them. You know, it's not about the reward of the wins all the time. It's just the work ethic and stuff. And that's literally how I've done, you know, I spend more time talking about uh, just emotional teenage kid stuff, uh, phone calls about girlfriends and, you know, where am I going to go to college and coach, you know, just my grades. It's all these things that, you know, you don't think about as a coach. And then all of a sudden you deal with that. I deal with that way more than I deal with uh, disgruntled parents or, uh, or baseball. I mean, so you're I, essentially so, a psychologist. Right? Yes. I, am, I married a psychologist. <laughs> and so I'm glad to know that that has uh, type, kind of, uh, uh, worked out for me, but I, it is, you know, it's been so rewarding. I mean, I don't know what my kids think about it because as you, as we talked earlier, when you're talking to your kids, they just hear blah, 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 blah. They hear nothing except that's all I, I'm, I'm over you. And so, you know, I've let my assistants coach my kids with, with me going around the corner going, Hey, can you tell him to do this? And can you tell him to do that? But you know, it, it, it's the relationship we've had, we've all had good relationships. Uh, and, and, you know, and you just find out as a father coach that there's just certain things your kids aren't going to, they're just not ready for that. They're not going to listen to you in that regard. And so don't put pressure on them. And that's what I found, you know, if they want to know something they, and they're really dying for, they'll come talk to you and they have, and that's been great to, to kind of feel that um, not to push my passion. And so my kids have always been into their sports. And I mean, that was one of the key reasons to retire. It's just because we're getting at a point where they were, wanted to really play they and and my wife I didn't want my wife there by herself and so I was at a point I'd done well I you know I didn't have anything else to prove and so I just said you know I'm retiring so when I started I, I actually got the coaching job in high school by coming up to this private school uh middle school of Albemarle to talk about another kid that had uh I coached in little league or whatever and he was having an issue with the a coach and I came up to talk to him and the athletic director looked at me and goes, well, can you, uh, can you do better? And I said, well, of course I can do better. <laughs> well, Hey, you got the job. Well, I hadn't, I, you know, I hadn't even been out of baseball a, a year and I'm all of a sudden back I'm coaching. And so it, it just kind of fell in like that, but you know, it's had its perks, you know, it, it's been able to, I've watched all my kids play. I've been able to watch them, uh, go through their ups and downs. And, you know, the biggest thing that I felt 
that God had put me into coaching for was to be able to, to, to really tell everybody how not to do it. Cause I, so many ways I wish I would have said reacted in different ways so that when kids do react, I go, you know what? I've been there. I've done that. That's probably not the best way to say that. Right. And I know this. And so I, I've tried to help in those regards because I wasn't very polished when I was going through my career with through the, the trades from uh, Houston to Philadelphia. I, I just absolutely was so immature going through that. And then just trying to, to filter through teammates. And so now being have, being there, I'm able to go, mm, you know, that doesn't work as well as you think. And nobody likes you when you do that. And so just having a little bit of that, that, that knowledge, I feel like that's really my calling to coach and help these kids. That's why we love doing this, Alana. Sometimes, yeah, we'll talk to someone and they're like, yeah, I'm chilling. It's been many years. And also the end of their career, you kind of knew it was coming. This is a completely different conversation. It's like, first off, uh, it was a great day off. Now I'm going to coach high school baseball. But also, if you go one step further back, I don't want to sleep on the fact that he had a career best 1-4-3 ERA in his final season with Atlanta. So you went out big poppy style. Like I, I know you- Button. Yeah, Benjamin Button, yeah. you're going backwards. You're, you said you had nothing left to prove, but it still must be hard to leave a game when you're still at the top of your game. Barely anyone does that because usually you have to like grab the career from the player and say, okay, this is, I think it's a good time at this point. You were super productive. So can you dive deeper into how that went for you? And like, what was it? Was the arm feeling okay? How, how do you actually make that decision to go, you know what, I'm done, done? Um, it, you know what, it hit, I knew it was coming. Um, my kids, it was really only my kids. It was truly about my kids. My, my body was fine. Uh, you know, I was starting to, to, to break down a little bit more with just everything. But uh, really, it was uh, my kids. I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to to be able to be that sounding board and talk to them and have them around. I really enjoy being there. They love the game. And so, you know, I enjoyed all that, that they could do and, and just that lifestyle. And so I remember coming out of spring training and uh, probably first weekend, we're getting ready to play the Cubs. And I, I walk into Bobby's office and I go, Bobby, I think uh, and I signed a two-year deal. Um, and I walk in and I go, Bobby, I don't, I think I'm going to retire after this year. He wow. goes, ah, you'll change your mind. I said, no, I'm serious, Bobby. I, I'm done. I said, I said, this is it. I said, I'm, this is all, this is it. He goes, well, just give it some time. And I said, well, listen, I don't want you to say anything. I said, I'm, I'm done. I said, I, I know I'm done. And I said, I'm, I'm good. And so that day, that night, I think it what was, it might've been before or after the game. All of a sudden, I come in from the bullpen. I don't even think I pitched, but I come in from the bullpen, and everybody's at my locker, and I'm, like, looking around, and I'm like, I get traded. They trade me? <laughs> and so I get there, and they go, so Bobby says, you're uh, you're done. You're retired. Oh, like, what? oh, Bobby. I go, I said, uh, yeah, I'm done. I'm good. And, so, and you know, and I just low-keyed it. And um, I don't think anybody in their right mind thought I was going to retire. I don't, I really don't think they even gave me a head nod like, Oh, well, you know, he'll be back, you know, because, you know, I don't think anybody would have said anything if I'd have had a four, three ERA and, and, and struggled, nobody would have said anything. I mean, you know, to be honest, I don't, I, you know, 
there were so many seasons I felt like I struggled through that were, you know, you look back now, I thought, wow, it you know, wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was when I was going through it. But there was just, there was time, you know, the mental grind was being ready every day. And that's what made me the, the type of person I was to, to, to do it. But there was a point where that grind was just like, whew, man. You could be great the same one day, go back out the next and be terrible. It just got to the point where you're just like, hey, you know, there's more important stuff. And, you know, I want to be able to when I'm done to be able to to play catch and to be able to do things and and enjoy and not be so beat up that I'm just, you know, I can't move. And so, you know, that that was that, that was really, you know, the gist of it, to be honest with you. But, you know, it is better that I went out having a great year rather than just stinking. I mean, that's, I mean, I don't, I, I say that tongue in cheek because I, every time I have a hall of fame uh, interview there, well, you know, you still had two or three more years. You were doing this and you're, I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. I quit. I get it. I hear you. So, but I mean, you know, good or bad though. I, I mean, when I look back, I, I when I was done and I stepped away, I n- I've never regretted it. Went, oh man, I wish I'd have thrown that extra year, or I'd have done this, or I'd done that. I, um, you know, I mean, even after I retired, and I remember, I would put my my spikes on, and I'd go out and throw BP from the mound, and I would throw 150 pitches as hard as I could throw them, and I'd still go out. I'd play in like some little games with the the. Uh, we go and play UVA baseball team once in a while, and I'd come in and pitch and inning here and there. And it, I mean, just the fun of games. And I, but I'd also get to play shortstop, which is really my claim to fame. So, but uh, no, I, I mean, it was it was at a point. I just it was fun to be able to step away on my own terms and stuff. So here's my thing, because you got to spend at least a couple minutes on right. on Hall of Fame, because over in the last vote, you get over half. Um, you need 75 percent. And that was your seventh appearance. So you got a few more to go. I've been a big proponent for years, as you know. I think one of the easy ways that I phrase it is Did that, Scott, do you get a vote? Because everybody no. that likes me doesn't have votes. I don't understand I don't, this. No, it's only writers. And I'm not a writer. I'm a broadcaster. I do think broadcasters, after a certain amount of years, there should be some type Absolutely. of group. I'm sure Alana's on the same page. After a certain number of years, just like with writers that you should have a say in, in doing things like this, because I think that we watch enough games and have a knowledge mm-hmm. base that we, uh, we deserve to have writers are only covering the, the writers that for the, the most part have the vote is on they're on that respective beat. They're not covering yeah. all 30 like we are. Yeah. I'm it watching, is, we're watching crazy. a better blend of everybody versus, you know, people that are, I mean, it's the same thing. Cause you know, Alana and I are national broadcasters, you right. know, quote national broadcasters versus if, if you're with, a local team, there's no way that you're able to watch as many games because you have to watch every game of that one team. There's just not enough hours of the day. And it's so funny because I remember when um, I was in New York and, you know, everybody's a Hall of Famer while they're still playing. Everybody thinks, oh, you'll be a Hall of Famer, whatever. I remember, and I've always loved Trevor. Trevor Hoffman has been one of the greatest influences on me than ever. Uh, And I remember I was in New York and Trevor's pitching and, I remember a new uh, a beat guy going, you know what? I'm not voting for him for for first ballot. And I'm like, why? Why not? Well, he's not tough enough to play in New York. You know, do it in New York. And I said, well, he pitches against New York teams. Well, I mean, what's the difference? We're all big leaguers. And I remember just going, I have no shot at this. There's no <laughs> shot at this because you know, I mean, 
they don't see you and you become biased. I would be biased. I mean, goodness gracious. When I watch uh, Edwin Diaz pitch, I'm like, ooh, God, that's fun. That's fun. That's that's the what I'd like to have been when I pitched. That guy, that emotion. And so but I'm you were, you just, you were that guy, just not at a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. But that him, and then you, put, uh, yeah. <laughs> then, then you put, then uh, you put Presley out in Houston and then you, all these guys are just like, I mean, I'm such a big fan. I would be so biased. And so I don't, I mean, but being a national broadcast, you can sit there and go, Hey, I get to see, I'm not just sitting on this guy to go, Oh man, you know, because I, you wouldn't become biased. Now you get to watch all these guys and you go, huh. and, and you get to kind of see their character in a different way but here's my problem milana so numbers wise i mean i can go all day and then my the way i phrase it simply when i don't have much time is billy wagner was a hall of fame pitcher many people just didn't realize it at the time you know i mean i played a lot of baseball video games so for me if it's like i'm creating a custom team and i need a strikeout especially at a time period where guys would make more contact and i'm like in a tight spot and i need a strikeout there the weren't many guys back then, right? The strikeout pretty much insane. In history among players that have pitchers with 900 or more innings. It's, it's it's absurd, but you can go on and on. It's the K per nine. It's the it's the ERA second to Mo. It's the It's not crazy. It's not like a super advanced stat. ERA plus hundreds league average second. I don't ever. even know what that all those numbers mean. I I you know what I think is funny is you know everybody wants to give me it's the 900 innings that's the the killer. I think that's "Ah." that's the only thing that's holding you back is the longevity, but you went out on your terms. It's not like he pitched eight years. He pitched 16. 16. What what I told him, what what I've said, and and I said, I I, and I hate to toot my horn. I do. I'm not that type of guy. Come on. What I will say is that if my strikeouts are better than the guys that are in the hall of fame with, and I have less time than them, then why are they in there? Because right. my numbers are better at with a lower inning rate than the guys who don't. Correct. I mean, so it would it, stand to reason if you continued to play, your numbers would be better than theirs. Yeah. And so what happens if you go out there and you go, and, and I mean, devil's advocate, what if you go out and you play another two years? And I play another two years and um, I suck, right? Is there, do, am I going to get the pomp and circumstance of a Trevor to, 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 find a way to get to that 500 save, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, I think it's um, a very easy uh, stat to point to. I don't think, I really don't think it's a personally, I don't think it's a numbers thing because I think if it was solely a numbers thing, there'd be more argument because, you know, do you think if you would have played with the same team longer, instead of being, you know, playing for right. several different teams that would have mattered. I mean, you look at Mariano, I think of him as a, oh, Yankee. Yeah. I, you know, you look at Trevor, obviously I think of him as a Padre. I look at Billy Wagner, I think of you as a, as an Astro and as, as a Met, but there's right. other teams in there. Perhaps. Do you think that hurts? Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think there's a point where, you know, like, I guess you could say Johnny Franco. I mean, you could say um, a couple of the guys that don't get their just due that uh, bounce around as relievers. I mean, Dibble, Carlton, uh, mm-hmm. or Charlton, uh, um, gosh, I am just blank on big daddy. Names just plenty like, already though. And you have better numbers than all of them. <laughs> well, big daddy that's in there with 476, um, you know, who just now got in, uh, I mean, he bounced around and he, you know, something, you know, that was, I was told was, oh, he wasn't very friendly with the media, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I mean, I know that plays something to it. I mean, I, I'm no idiot. I mean, if, if, if you're a jerk, you're a jerk and nobody likes to go around that. But I mean, you know, there's, there's guys that weren't very good with the media that were just some of the best people I've ever met in, in, ever. Uh, and, and it just, but they were yeah, great it's not, the, it's not the good guy or the, you know, the media hall of fame. Oh, it's, I'll tell you, it's, I, I, it's the I, hall you of fame. Know, it is. And, you know, I, I do think there's, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, I, I would, I've always told him, I said, the one thing I want somebody to say, because nobody really comes out and says why I'm not a hall of famer. They, they just, they kind of go, well, it could be if this was, you know, they never go, well, I'm not doing it because his, the league has never voted for a guy with less than a thousand innings into the Hall of Fame. Uh, we've, we've never done this. We've never done that. I, I, I'd rather them to come out and say, this is why. This mm-hmm. is why I don't consider. Because you can, I mean, they can, they, they'd like to hold up my playoff record. But other than, uh, you know, and I tell them, I said, well, I, I, I sucked in the playoffs. I, grant, I, I agree, but. It was 11 the, innings, though. You didn't get a lot of but, time. Different time periods. You weren't Mariano Rivera. Good, but the times I needed to be good, I was good. Mm-hmm. I didn't have 11 saves opportunities. I had four, and I was three for four. I, I only had, you know, I lost lost a game, won a game, and the, the game that I ended up getting the win was was the game my blue. So, you know, those are, you know, those are number. I remember my first two years, we kept playing the Braves, and, I got to come in in game three where we're getting swept and we're losing 12 to two. And see, that's you know, the thing. You have to be on teams that give you the lead to give you the opportunities to come in for the save. I mean, it all, a lot of it depends on who you're, what team you're on at the time. Well, and you know, like Bagwell and Biggio don't get their just due for playing in those earlier years that established what they are today because there wasn't the marketing and the, promotions that they were everybody knew Bagwell and Biggio was because they were in marquee but they didn't realize it was you know until later who Lance Berkman was who uh Innsberg who you know you know and all of a sudden you you started to you you get Clemens you get Pettit you you start to Oswalds all of a sudden that just starts to steamroll but a lot of that like Baggy and Biz didn't get there I mean Baggy and Biz were you know Reggie Jackson and uh you know like the Derek Jeter I mean, but they didn't get that because, you know, we're in Houston in a what should be a massive market. We're in a smaller market. And so, you know, I felt like, you know, you, you know, if you're a closer, you know, it was the same thing as, you know, the guy going, well, if he was in New York, could he really do it in New York? And I, I'll be honest, I angled all my career to pitch in New York because mm-hmm. they kept going, well, you know, can he really do it in New York? Can he really do it here? I, and it was like, I will absolutely have no problem doing it in New York. It's, can I, can I handle the scrutiny that, that will be the determining factor because I never, I mean, you know, knock on wood back in the, the uh, Astrodome, a lot of people didn't know the game was over until the fireworks hit. And so, you know, they were asleep. I mean, it was just the way it was. It's so massive. Nobody, I mean, it wasn't that big until like 98 and, Randy Johnson rolled in there and you got 56,000 <laughs> people. And then, I mean, that was electric. So, but I mean, you didn't have that. And then um, you go to the Philadelphia and they built their new city and it's starting to ramp up. And, you know, the Jimmy Rollins and, uh, you know, the Chase Utley's they were just Howard coming did. in. Yeah. yeah. They were just yeah. coming in and then bam, you know, they, they just, it was so awesome. And then uh, 
you go to New York, that was the whole thing. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, I, I know people have mixed emotions about like Fred Wilpon and Jeff, but man, they were so good to me. When I blew out, they were, Fred came to me, came down to the locker room. As soon as he heard I was hurt, come down and goes, I will find a way to find you a place to be. Cause he, I knew he's going to have to get a closer. He knew that I it wasn't dumb. And so he goes and gets Frankie. I'm all excited. I'm half, you know, uh, I come back from uh, Tommy John that usually takes 14 months. I come back and I'm on the mound pitching in a big league game in 10. And he's, he comes down and watches me throw a pin during, I mean, before, before I, my, when I get to New York and he's like, give me the, you know, Godfather uh, slap to the face, like, you know, so, uh, but you know, it was just that great. I mean, they were so good, but they gave me the opportunity. And then I go to Boston and what a great opportunity that was. And then, you know, to pitch in Atlanta, where it was really my, my favorite team growing up with Dale Murphy and all those guys. I mean, it was like it, my journey from top to bottom was just like, uh, you know, a dream because I got to do something that someone from Southwest Virginia could only have dreamed of to play on a team that, you know, all the greatest teams. So, I, I mean, if somebody goes and says, you didn't, you, you're not, you're, you're not a hall of famer. I am in the best class of people that didn't get in the hall of fame, but Dale <laughs> Murphy and guys like that than ever. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I, I'm okay with, with somebody with them not getting in there, even though how many times I've practiced my, my, Hall of Fame speech. I mean, on the tractor driving around the farm. And Do you really? Things. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. I love I mean, that. I love. I that. would love. I mean, that's a dream. I mean, to play, to be, I guess, the account, the, to have that ability to say that I was worthy of that honor, and knowing how hard it was for all these guys who actually got in and guys who didn't get in to to be able to sit there and speak to to the little guys who are working hard or not getting you know, that just do because they're like not big enough where, you know, those are things that I feel, um, you know, uh, that I can speak to and, and, and I've been blessed to be able to do. Well, you are incredibly talented, well-deserving. Uh, you've always held yourself and everyone around you accountable. I have a very hard hitting question for you though, to end All this right. thing, Billy Wagner, here it is. Who in your mind has the best entrance song as a closer? You enter Sandman, Mariano enter Sandman, Trevor Hoffman, Hell's Bells, Edwin Diaz. I don't even know what the heck it is called. I got it. Oh, I got it. Because he's totally into EDM with the trumpets. Um, Timmy Trumpet and Blaster Jacks with Narco, which is just taking over New York City. I'm all over it. You're talking about passionate Phillies fans, Met fans, Boston Red Sox fans. My goodness, this is not well, only is Edwin. You know, don't leave out Papelbon. Don't leave wow. out Papelbon because I'm oh, yeah. too. Papelbon had a good I, one. Fernando did. Rodney, uh, <laughs> when he came out to Animal, I think it was. Um, we, there's some other ones, but you there, you were mentioned often when I posed this question. So how did you pick it, and did you have it the same time Mariano did? No, now, to my understanding, I, I had it before Mariano. Oh, okay. But I, 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 that, that's what I, but I'll tell you, you know, when my song got really good is when I got to Atlanta. Yeah. And uh, Peter Moylan goes, hey, <laughs> oh, I, I love him. Every time I every time I say his name, I want to start speaking Australian like I have some accent. <laughs> but he, he starts telling me, he goes, he goes, and it's awkward. We're in the showroom. Hey, mate, I've got this great idea. I'm like, all right. He goes. How about we do this gunfighter 
tombstone. And so he's got tombstone on, he goes, we put tombstone on the screen and you walk out and you're, and they're talking about hell coming with me and gunfire. And then, then all of a sudden the fireflies and they start doing uh inner salmon. I'm like, go for it. Well, I, you know, I will never forget the first time that happened. I ran out and, and I heard everything on the big screen. And I'm like, holy shit, this is so cool. <laughs> that was so cool. And and they sent me a version of it because my, my youngest son wasn't old enough. And so he was never going to believe it. So believe me, I have played that for him. I have, I've said, Hey, you're going to see this. And so I've played that for him, but um, I would have to say that, I'd have a hard time. You know what makes it Trevor's is the, probably the best. I've never seen a crowd get into it. With the light. I've never seen, I've never seen hitters get so scared in my life. I've seen hitters want to get under benches when they heard hell's bell. And you would think you, you're getting ready to face this monstrous 150 mile an hour fastball with just unreal stuff. And you know, Trevor's was by was the best by far. But I will say that Edwin's is just, I tell you, I have watched it. I love it. Oh, I, 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 it's one of my favorites. Every time they post it, I'd listen to the whole thing. And I just love how that comes out. And I mean, his, I just think how he far he's come from when he first stepped into New York. And he, I remember getting questions about what do you think about this poor kid? And he's just, you know, he's not, he's struggling. And now, I mean, they just love him and you know what he's earned and i love the way he goes about doing his stuff and he just it's it's tough i would say it's really tough with those two all right billy so here was the list i posed mariano of course trevor eric mm -hmm. gagne penley when he was with the dodgers not with yep. the Braves, edwin fernando rodney with the mariners and then everyone was like billy wagner billy wagner billy wagner jonathan papelbon posted up you did a, you did a great job posting that song an even better job uh in your unbelievable career and if scott braun and myself have anything to say about it you're in you're well, in i appreciate yeah, that. you know thank you guys yeah. you're an awesome That's interview great. super fun keep being you billy great talking well, to you as always i appreciate you guys thanks a ton Well, it's probably the, the fifth or sixth time I've interviewed Billy Wagner, and I still very much am leading the charge. I am the conductor of the Billy Wagner should be in the Hall of Fame train. So that only continues and gets stronger with every interview, Alana, because he's cool, he's candid, he's well-spoken. And it's for some people, maybe media members, whoever that, that dealt with him at the time, they're like, oh, he didn't always talk or he was short or he short answers or he even said himself, like, I was immature at times. You can't tell when you talk to Billy Wagner nowadays, A plus interview. No, he is a guy that I feel is almost uh, two personalities. He is a guy that will absolutely shove it down your throat on the mound, but off the field, off the pitching mound, one of the nicest guys, as you mentioned, well-spoken, happy guy, has kids, just, you know, coaching, just minding in his own business. But I know if there's anything that you can do about it, he will be in the Hall of Fame. You need to get a vote. You need That's what to I need. I'll, I'll work on that charge too. I've got time, but, but that is true that it's typical closer to have multiple personalities and, and both of them worked very well for him. Okay. We finish as always, we've got a little this week in baseball action. This is 
Alana's first foray into this week in baseball on this show. So I'm going to let you open it up because you deal with history in baseball on your television show all the time. So you take over for this one minute we've got on this week in baseball. All right. For the week of August 22nd, I am taking us back, Scott, to August 23rd, 1989. You were probably, what, two years old, if even that. Tommy Lasorda, you were one. (laughs) Wonderful. Even younger than I was joking about. Okay, so I'm going to take you back. Back in the day with the Montreal Expos going up against the Los Angeles Dodgers, Tommy Lasorda, of course, was the manager of the Dodgers. Now, this is a contest in which Tommy Lasorda, I don't know if you knew this about Tommy, um, did not have the most patient temper uh, ever or demeanor. So he doesn't really like mascots and he certainly doesn't like mascots giving him the business when there's no score in a game. So Yupi, the Expos mascot, crawled on top of the Dodgers dugout. Well, Tommy Lasorda wanted no part of that. Long story short, they ended up getting security to kick Yupi who was wearing pajamas and a nightcap, by the way, because this game went into 22 innings, kicked him out of the game. So Yupi was ejected and dejected. The fans were super upset. Okay, that's part one. Move forward to the bottom of the 16th inning between the Expos and the Dodgers. Larry Walker, before he became a Colorado Rocky, obviously was an Expo. So there was a sack fly by Mike Fitzgerald. Larry Walker left third base early. Okay, so he would have been the game winning run that had scored. Well, he left early. Bob Davidson, the third base umpire, who also was the one that actually ejected Yuppie, told Larry Walker that he left early and that run did not count. Okay, so there we go from the six. Imagine you're in the 16th inning, you leave early, the the game is still, you, you don't get to score, the game is still tied. All right, we move forward to the 22nd. Inning. 22nd inning. I've covered a 22 inning game. Brutal. Rick <laughs> Dempsey homers off of Dennis Martinez in the 22nd inning to be the only run of the game. The Los Angeles Dodgers beating the Montreal Expos one to nothing on August 23rd, 1989. It might have been one of the most boring games of all time because not only was it one nothing, so you don't even have run scoring. I love a good pitcher's duel, but not a 22-inning duel. No. But but also, I think the, the biggest problem was for the youngsters out there, you were missing UP for all of that you time. Like, think of all of the jokes, all of the things he could have done over that time period. But think about it, though. If you were allowed to stay up that late and you happened to be there, you could have had three seventh-inning stretches. That's right. Three seven inning stretches, which yeah. it's, it's BS though that uh, Yupi was only able to probably be. I don't know what inning he was. Uh, he got stretched. ejected in the eleventh. In the eleventh, so, so he did one inning stretch. Yeah. Gotcha. He Hopefully, at least left like some extra pajamas for people because that that is a <laughs> that is one of the more ridiculous oh, games. Boring. Um, yeah, very boring, especially when you're missing. I mean, Yupi was a big deal. He was just he was, was a legend back then. So are you, Alana? That was awesome. Thank you, Thank Thank you so you. much on the first one. Lounge is closed. We'll see you next week. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends.
Baseball Legends Lounge is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.